0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back. My name is Chuck Rocha, and I'm joined by Mike Madrid. Good to be with you all. And we are back with the Latino Vote Podcast. It's been an exciting week in politics this week. We got some great guests this week, uh, but I also want to get started with I just got back, and I'll make sure everybody knows that I went and flew all the way to Sacramento just to see my brother Mike Madrid and to get to see the state capital of the great state of California and all of their homeless people in one city. (laughs) Mike, thanks for having me, and thanks for rolling out the red carpet. We've got a huge Sacramento following,
1: Chuck, so I want you to be really careful with the way you're wording the description (laughs) of, of this great capital city.
0: I rolled up into there and I was like, what the hell is this? California, I was expecting beaches and mountains and redwoods and all of the things that go with it. Mike quickly explained that that's San Francisco and Los Angeles and not Sacramento.
1: Yeah, as we say, the best part of Sacramento is that it's an hour away from all the cool spots in California. So it's geographically located well, but not a whole lot of redeeming qualities. We are, of course, a capital city. But you know, California's got issues. California's struggling a little bit, and I know we talk about that. Um, and and hopefully, we'll get some of that remedied a bit and get back to this luster of the Golden State and get back to that. Well, uh, look
0: for and I and I was a little critical of the state, and I love to give Mike a hard time, but I will say for the, all the things that I wasn't impressed about Sacramento, I will say thank you to Mike Madrid that I found and had some great food in Sacramento. Me and Ebony were there for her cousin's wedding. We went right to the source, Mike Madrid, who is like the mayor of Sacramento, and said, where do we go and where do we hang out and where do we eat? We had good Mexican food. We had good American food. We had like really good food, good food scene in Sacramento.
1: He's saying I eat a lot, I think is what, what he's saying, <laughs> but I appreciate that. But, but yeah, that we do. We have a great farm to fork movement here in Sacramento. And maybe it's because of lack of other things to do, but we do spend a lot of time um, brunching. Brunch is a really big deal in Sacramento. And we've got a lot of great restaurants. Our restaurant scene was really thriving before COVID. It's really returned in a, in a big way. I'm, I'm glad to see it. Um, the city is, is coming back like so much of the rest of the country in the world. And um, it was great to see you. It was great to see you. Great to have you. Great to host you and, and walk you around town a little bit. And um, I'm glad you came out.
0: We had a really great time, and Ebony wanted me to make sure that I said thank you for all the hospitality, and everybody knows that Ebony's my much better half, and she is uh, the much brains better. of this operation. Much better. Much better. better she, is. Way, she likes Mike Madrid way too much to make me comfortable, just to be honest. Says, Mike Madrid, <laughs> he has all these great ideas. I find myself agreeing with Mike. I was like, would you please stop for people to find that out? Okay, look, today I'm super excited because we're joined by one of my really good friends and somebody who I look up to a lot who's been doing some amazing reporting our sister Paola Ramos. Let me give you a little background. All of you who know her, who watch her on TV, read all of her articles, watch all of her stuff on Vox. She's kicking ass and taking names. But for those of you at the Latino Vote Podcast who may not know her, let me read some of the fancy stuff that she's done to make her feel really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which is she served in the Obama administration. She was the deputy director of Hispanic media for the Hillary Clinton campaign. She's an on-air contributor at Telemundo and MSNBC, correspondent for Vice News. She's also published an amazing book called Finding Latinx, The Search of the Voice of Redefining the Latino Identity. I am so happy. And again, Paola, you should know that Ebony likes you way more (laughs) than she likes Mike Madrid, and she wanted me to make sure to tell you that she reads all your stuff and she loves you
2: then I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Thank I'll you kick it over so to, much.
0: I'll kick it over to Mike to get this started
1: today. Paula, it's great to have you. I think you're by far the most famous person we've had on the podcast. So thanks for joining <laughs> <Please>. us today. <laughs> Please. We, uh, we were talking a little bit on air but about some of your work, some of your journalistic work and just how much um, how, how taxing the, the, the career, the, the field is, especially in the way that mm-hmm. it is and the way that you handled it. But Look, you're an expert on on, on identity and, and Latina, Latino, Latinx identity generally broadly. And I was just hoping you could spend a little bit of time talking about the uniqueness of Latino identity because um, I, I'm convinced that as a country, a United States under change and under transformation, mm-hmm. that the Latinization of America, as I call it, and it's not really a all of America, but you, you know how Americans think that we, we think this is, this is America. Mm-hmm. Um, our perceptions of self are changing mm-hmm. and, and and the perception of when I say ourselves, I mean, our culture as, as an American culture, whatever there is of it, but American identity, American culture, American perspective is changing dramatically. And, I, and lo- most, I would say of it, a lot of it has to do with the changing um, Latinization of who we are becoming. And I wanted you to maybe explore a little bit for our audience what that means and what that clash potentially means. I know it's a it's a big question, but if you don't mind spending a little time just talking about kind of the clash of these two perspectives and what we can expect, uh, you know, really by the end of our lifetimes, this is all happening in real time and it's probably creating a lot of the tension and stress and pressures that that our society is undergoing but but where, where are we going just share, share a little bit with the audience if you don't mind Paula. yeah
2: i mean I, I think i think us as a community specifically among like millennials and gen zers you're seeing us sort of coming out for the first time no you know, I, you know I'll, I'll speak personally i i had this moment when i was doing spanish language television five years ago i remember i was sitting in, in the telemundo studios Five, maybe seven years ago and I remember sitting for the very first time in front of a mirror in in the makeup chair and when they were doing makeup in Telemundo they were doing it according to the image of what a Latin on TV was supposed to look like you no know? I was supposed to look like a certain way that that was where the makeup was going I was supposed to talk a certain way I was supposed to love a certain way and I was supposed to sort of function in a certain way according to the stereotypical image of what a you know latina on telemundo or univision and according to the united states view was supposed to be like and i remember i sat through that one hour i remember i went on tv for the very first time years ago and 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 i wasn't myself and i told myself after that moment i will never ever do that again you no know, so now every time i'm on tv um i i, I say that i'm an openly queer you No. Know? i i I talk how I want to and I talk about the issues that perhaps may be, um, you know, breaking stereotypes on TV. And I say all this because what I'm seeing is that same transformation among many Latino millennials and Gen Zers. Now, for the first time, many people leaning into identity, leaning into queerness, leaning into what it means to be Afro-Latinos, Indigenous Latinos, trans Latinos, leaning into this idea that like, not everyone speaks Spanish. No, we can speak Spanish, and so that's all happening. And 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 I've seen that happening for the last five years. And then on the other side, you no, know, suddenly a lot of my reporting has then taken me to to the other extreme of that, which is also then what I believe, and I know Chuck hates this, but this this sudden rightward shift that I'm that I'm also starting to see right among many of my counterparts, where they also suddenly feel okay. Saying that this whole time they actually were more Republican, more conservative, more different than they wanted to to ever admit. So that's sort of this where I see us in this moment. These two stories that are happening parallel at the same time that are very much in tension and all trying to to answer this question that is on the three of our minds, which is who are we as voters? No? And I think that answer is not too clear. And that's the beauty of, of this moment.
1: Let me ask just one follow up. This is fascinating to me. This is, you know, kind of a space my head is in a lot. And so I'm, I'm, I'm honored and privileged to kind of be having this conversation with you, especially, especially as, as younger generations. Um, is it, is it a cultural moment that allows for that courage and for that freedom? Are we kind of as, as, as mestizo people, um, does that give us a, 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 a firmer ground to say, I'm okay with who I am and where I'm at, and and maybe I'm I'm different, and my different is what makes me me and better and unique. What's that? Come, is it a generational thing more than a cultural thing?
2: I think it is generational, right? I think I I, mean, I think we all we can look at our grandparents. And, you know, I mean, I grew up with so much privilege, but I but I I can look around me. And for the older generations, you sort of had to assimilate. you, know? you sort of had to conform to the norms because that—that's what it meant to survive. You no, know, to survive meant to put your head down, speak in English if you can, and and conform to the norms. You no, know, that's that's that was surviving. I think the younger generations we learned that we we took those rights that our parents fought for so hard and our grandparents fought for so hard, and now we have this ability to lean into differences in a way that I think the older generations didn't. And the numbers are there for us. No, I think what's incredible is you look at the numbers and actually, you know, going back to the LGBTQ community within us, Latina millennials are the most likely generation to identify as LGBTQ than any other millennial generation, more so than white folks, more so than more so than 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 black folks. Right. So there is a transformation happening. You look on TV who's the number 1 artist right now? It's Bad Bunny. What's Bad Bunny doing? He's completely challenging gender norms and gender identity and what it means to be a Latino Latinx artist on TV. Again, that is the 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 transformation of a culture that for far too long has abided by a story that was half right, but not entirely.
1: Tell me about that conflict between the norms uh, of 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 kind of 250 years of of America's structure and system? And, and how does this all play out over the next couple of decades, right? I mean, I mean I'm, I'm guessing it's kind of a generational transformation. I think it's fascinating that you're, you're telling me, um, and I'm learning something here about the percentage of uh, people who identify as LGBTQ uh, that are Latino uh, leading as the fastest growing part of the population that's leading, that's changing. We probably don't see enough of that in media to represent um, that change that is occurring, although Bad Bunny is pretty influential, right, and pushing pushing boundaries there. But w- what is the tension like? Because it's not just a demographic transformation we're witnessing. It's not just a a a a, a clash of of two systems. It's truly a cultural transformation, and that's got to be scaring a lot of people, right?
2: Well, I'll tell you this. Look, for me, the best example was a couple weeks ago, I was in South Texas, and I was standing in front of Congresswoman Mayra Flores, another millennial that's just a couple years older than me. And, you know, she won that special election based on those three principles, right? God, family, and country. And here I was standing in front of her. And when I asked her basic questions, do you believe in same-sex marriage? The answer was no. No. Do you believe that someone like me has the same right as someone like you to get married or to, to find love? The answer was no. And do you believe in abortion? The answer was no. So, so that it that was the real tension not that I that I was feeling, where you have this other side of our community. Um that, that, is, that is embracing these values that they believe have always been core to them, not just in the United States, but that that's core to them on the other side of the border, core to, to who their families are, core to their legacy. And that clashes with the other side of the Latino story, which is a story that is taking a completely different trajectory and trying to change the tra- trajectory of this country. So that's w- what I mean when I'm saying there is this natural tension that we're seeing now manifesting in politics, manifesting in races, in a completely different ways. And to me that when I had the conversation with Congressman Mayra Flores, it was I, I felt it right there. There we were, two millennial, two Latinas, and with very different core values driving us in very different ways.
1: Are we all that different then as Latinos? Are we just becoming what sort of the, the overall main mainstream or the overall dominant culture is that what's happening? are we just kind of assimilating into it broadly where you can have a, a Paula Ramos and a Mayra Flores and an Alexandria Cortez Ocasio cortez and you can yeah. have you can have you know, everybody uh, on all of these different perspectives is it a change or is it or is it is it just reflecting us becoming what is?
2: Are you saying, are we, are we becoming, are we Americanizing? Are we, is that?
1: I mean, essentially.
2: I've always, I go back and forth on that question. I've, I've always believed that like, as Latinas, there's, there's something completely different about us, regardless if you're a a Trump supporter, a Democrat, there's something that unites us. Um, And it's this idea that Every single one of us has one thing in common, no? and that is that someone in our families, someone in our families came to this country looking first for better opportunities, looking for a little bit more freedom, looking for something better than what they left behind. And I've always been driven by the belief that that makes us uniquely different the moment that you step into this country. Right now, I'm questioning my own thesis because no? now I'm seeing that. That 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 may not necessarily be true, but for many years, specifically many years, working in democratic politics, working in the Obama White House, working in, in the Hillary Clinton campaign, I was driven by that belief that that core of us made us more empathetic, made us embrace our differences. Um, and and again, I'm 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 starting to question that. Are we becoming more American? Of course we are, but with with our with with our we always have our differences with us.
0: I think this conversation leads into my question, and when we talk about the complexity of the demographic, and on the Latino Vote podcast, Biola, we talk a lot about the cultural differences between ages, right? (laughs) Mike Madrid's really old, and I'm really young, and how we consume things differently (laughs) kind of things, you know? But also, (laughs) Mike hates it because I'm actually older than Mike, but uh, the point I want to make is the point you're making, which is now let's look at that through an electoral lens and the way that we supposedly reach out to these Latino voters. We know it's not a Latino vote, but there's a group of people that identifies Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, whatever they identify as, who are voters. And to your point, more of them are becoming voters. But what we see is a lackluster job done by, I would admit, both parties to reach this demographic. We still consider the voters older Spanish-speaking Mexicans, and they're just watching Univision and Telemundo, which a lot of them are. I had a focus group, um, was it two weeks ago in Wisconsin, with just Latino voters. When we asked them, uh, all, all of them were under 50. There was no over 50. When we said, how many of you get your, net, your news from network TV? Zero. Zero none of them get any of their information when they're making their determination about the elections from network news. It's social media, it's YouTube, it's their, it's their, you know, their peers around them. So as I talk about that, do you see a disconnect as you travel around the way that younger Latinos, Latinas look at the elections differently, obviously. But my question is, do you think it's because of where they're getting information from? Do you see that as a bedrock of why there's a big difference? Is there more?
2: No, of course. I mean, I think that's I think COVID proved it right. Where were Latinos getting their most crucial information to literally survive and study after study showed it? We were online and we were depending on social media as a means of survival to get information, again, at at, at rates higher than anyone. I mean, I I saw this from up close in during COVID. I studied very, very intently the way that misinformation was leading many in our community to be apprehensive about the vaccine. You no, know, I I can't tell you the countless families um, that were talking to me about you know lies again because they were spending so much time on WhatsApp and on Facebook chats and getting getting information from um, from people that that weren't trusted to the point that I I remember this conversation perfectly where where when I asked a Latina voter I said well what about Dr Fauci and she told me who is Dr Fauci. She had never heard of who dr fauci is right so of course there is a big gap between what we believe us three here having this conversation us going on msnbc like that's that's my dad going on on EBC on every single day that is not the reality any longer um, and so of course we have to understand the reality that we we are online we are in social media and um, we, we we live on facebook because from the beginning of our story in the United States, that is how we've always connected with people on the other side of the border. No, that's how we connect with our family members. So it's a matter of both parties understanding that and, and not being too afraid to ask questions. No, to, I think Mike was asking or, or Chuck, you know, the, the difference between the older generation of Latinas and the younger generations of Latinas. When we talk about abortion, that's where you understand no? um, older Latinas believe in abortion. And I'll never forget being in the Hillary Clinton campaign and they told us don't say the word abortion when you're talking to Latinas. Don't say that word. Don't say that out loud. Why? No, why, are we, why are we scared ourselves to break with those stereotypes, to ask those questions?
1: And I, I, I want to explore why, because there's never been any data that suggests that Latinos are decisively uh, opposed to abortion any more than anybody else. And I, and are you feeling this earthquake that we're feeling too in the community where like young Latinos are like, got it. I get it. This is bullshit. Like I'm showing up, I'm voting and, um, and I'm not, I'm not putting up with this stuff.
2: Completely. Yeah. I mean, to your point, there is no data. I mean, I think the again, there's there's this idea that we believe and we know specifically in Texas, like, of course, there are many family members that are more conservative. Of course, there are many family members that don't believe in that. But I think the majority of that are people that are empathetic people know that understand the limits. And that's 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 where I see the difference. I think a little bit over 50 percent of Latinos believe that abortion should be legal. No, the highest rates of abortions in this country come from black people and Latinos, according to the CDC. Right. So whether it's a taboo or not, Latinos, Latinx folks are having abortions. No, They're the most um, affected in this conversation. And so what we're seeing in the elections is, is exactly that. It's energizing people because the moment that you actually show the threat in real time as it's happening, people will 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 act.
0: I think that you're spot on there. And to answer Mike's question is uh, me and Mike like to talk about how old we are on this program because we've both run campaigns for over 30 years. And so over our 60 years of combined experience, we kind of answer some of the no bullshit answers of what's really happened with reaching out to this community. Mm-hmm. And one thing for sure is much like in reporting, when you see white reporters try to understand our community, and a lot of them are well-intentioned, but they didn't grow up in that nuanced community. The same with the political consulting class who's been running Democratic campaigns and I would say Republican campaigns who assume this is the big key that because they assume we're all Catholic because they assume we're all from a Latin American Catholic country like Mexico, we must be like mm-hmm. religious people in America and all be pro-life at a big number. So that's where that come from in the eighties and nineties. And even to when you worked for Hillary and they said, don't talk about this. I want to talk about something. Kenna's going to die. She's my producer. Cause it's not on here. I just thought about it of a question of, 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 uh, uh, of the nuance or nuance probably ain't the word. I think of big words to say Paola when I can't think of the things that Mm -hmm. I want to say. So I'll make up some big (laughs) words. So is that if you look at the Latino culture and you look at, I like to use my family as an example. And my father was taught not to speak Spanish and to try to be white in East Texas. Mm -hmm. This was in the fifties and sixties and seventies in deep red East Texas it's very, very, very dangerous for a black or brown person at that time. And so they were taught assimilate, assimilate, assimilate. And my grandmother would even admit to try to marry a white person. Let's, let's make sure that our children will not be vent, you know, done the way they've seen young black children done. And so then my parents came along who following that tradition. But what I'm seeing with me and my cousins, and my father was one of 15 Mexicans in Tyler, Texas is that you see a return of trying to figure out who we were from Mexico. Like I have cousins with me now that are tracing our roots back to Guanajuato. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What did our family do in Mexico? What was the culture of our people and trying to reconnect and reestablish our Latinidad mm-hmm. with even our next generation. So me and Mike, I was telling Mike this this weekend is that I have two beautiful boys yeah. that you've seen on social media, grandsons named the Rocha boys. And, They're mixed like I'm mixed. And so every time we mix more, we get more lighter skinned. And so people think that these two little white boys in Pittsburgh are probably little white boys. And so I make them call me Abuelo. Mm -hmm. And I make them call me Abuelo for a reason. I want them to know their culture. I want them to know, right? Do you see as you travel around and meet with other younger folks that are, at whatever level Latin or Hispanic or however they self-identify is trying to return more to the culture than maybe even their parents did because of this pride of trying not being scared anymore of being who you are and where you're from.
2: Completely. I mean, I think Mike and I were, were touching on that before. I think, I think now we're allowed to have pride, you know? And I think that's, that's different. We're, we're, we're allowed to love who we are you No, know? we're allowed to be proud of speaking Spanish. It was, I mean, there were, my grandmother is Cuban. She, to this day, she's lived here most of her life, and she barely knows English. And there were many, many, many years of her life where she was very ashamed, no, of not knowing English. And now she's she's very proud of that, no. Um, I think that's what you're seeing with the younger generation of us, no, this curiosity to know who 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 our family is, what our roots are. This curiosity to lean into what we were saying, to lean into our differences. We're allowed to do that in a way that, as you said, Chuck. You know, your parents and, and, and the older, our older ancestors weren't allowed to because, again, it was a form of surviving in the United States. That's all that's all changing. Right. Because our numbers are changing. We're now leading things where pe- people depend on us. We're now the ones that are dictating culture. So that's that's the transformation that we're in. No? People are looking at us to know where we're heading next. That's a completely, completely different dynamic. So absolutely. I think that's that's the beauty of the moment. And then I think there's also the the other side of that. You now, then you I've, I've also traveled to to many different parts of the country where, and this always strikes me. I, I was in Uvalde and when I was having a conversation with a Mexican family, when asked, "So where are you from?" They would say, "From Spain." Somos españoles. Somos blancos. And so I think again that, that that's that's why to me we're, we're seeing two very parallel and different stories happening now at the same time, and I think they're both equally important. While one of us is leaning into these differences. Some people are still thriving to assimilate, And I think that's part of the Trump effect. I can't tell you the amount of families and and people that have had this conversation with are like, no, 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 we are white. We are Spanish. No, we're not Mexican. We're not Hispanic. And that's also happening.
1: Uh, Yeah, you're you're hitting on so many um, points here. Again, I could, I could go down a rabbit hole on each one of these, like for an hour in each direction. Um, and, and, and I, I think to me, what just jumped out the most is it is that our changing numbers, which is pressing the case to have the Latino community become a cultural driver that is dictating culture. That's what that's really what is unique at the moment, right? For American history. White America has never been challenged in that way, right? Race relations have always been black Mm -hmm. and white, but the black percentage of the population has always sat around 12, 15%. It's never grown beyond that. It's never threatened white America numerically. This is foundationally Mm -hmm. different. This is like Joe's hardware store in Omaha or Des Moines is now becoming a taqueria. Or you know uh, right. a, a dress shop for Quinceanera dresses, or you know it's 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 there. It's real. It's not something Continue. abstract. But like you said, we are also in large part because of social media driving culture. And so I guess my I, I don't really know exactly what I'm asking, which is why I know I'm learning so much. <laughs> it's it's um, where does this go? What does this mean? What does America look like? in 20 years? Is it a better place? Is it a worse place for openness or is it the same place just with a little Latino flair?
2: No, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a different place. I mean, I'm thinking again, I I grew up in, I spent a lot of time in Florida around a Cuban population that looked like me. And now I look at Florida, I look at Orlando and I look at, um, Alejandro Maxwell Frost. No, he, here, here you have a, afro-cuban general Zer with a progressive platform completely challenging my notion my entire life of what the cuban-american vote in florida was and so when i think of someone like him stepping into the halls of congress joining someone like Alexanio ocasio-cortez joining someone like mayra flores again these are all very different voices that are completely challenging us like that to me is the future no you you can you can like or dislike someone like mayra flores she has a story too. No, she is representing a movement. You can dislike or not Alexandria Garcia Cortez, but these are these are young latinas, Gen Zers and millennials that are completely and will continue to transform who we are. And I think it's I'm with you Mike. Like I I am I'm learning as I go and that that's that's a that's a good problem to have. No, I think that's one of that's one of the reasons why I stepped out of politics in 2016 because I felt like I wasn't challenging myself to ask a lot of these questions because we all thought we knew. Where the latino vote was going we all thought we had it in the bag, and we all thought that we would never be having this question because it was a given of course that latino voters were going to continue to increase towards the democratic party and that's now being challenged not in a great way to chuck's point like many of us and i'll include myself we may be sensationalizing it but there is something happening and it's good to be having these conversations where we challenge because we are an extremely complex community more so than any other community i would say and these answers aren't clear so all this to say I'm with
1: you. Yeah. And that's hopeful, right? That complexity, that nuance, that 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 between black and and white is a whole lot of different shades of brown, right? And that complexity I think is for yeah. me it's hopeful for American democracy and the American experiment. I think it will be forever altered, which I think is a good thing because there's been a lot of things that have needed to be yeah. altered about it but we were just stuck yeah. in this unfortunate understandable because of our original sin of slavery. This is stuck between this discussion mm-hmm. between black and white. And then suddenly this Latino demographic it, uh, ranging the spectrum of, of beliefs and, and shades and color and, and culture and nationalities mm-hmm. comes in. It's like, don't even try to figure this out because it's so complex. It's so nuanced that the only way to, to understand it is to move forward. Um, uh, do, mm-hmm. do you guys? Right. Do either of you guys know uh, Malcolm Frost?
0: Yeah, I talked to him yesterday.
2: I can't wait to meet him now. Uh,
1: does he understand like the the the, the significance of what Paula said, which is just challenging this Cuban narrative, which is so deeply ingrained in American political culture? I mean, he's twenty five.
0: Yeah, he's he's a fascinating individual. And we my firm was lucky to work for the Congressional Hispanic Caucus's leadership pack. It's called Bold Pack. So what you have here is you have Latino and Latina congresspeople who created a super pack or a pack called Bold Pack. And guess what they did? And this is what more political arms should be doing, is they went into a multi-candidate primary in their own party. This is key. Mm-hmm. And said, this is good. We can fight. But we as brown congresspeople are going to put money behind a young, Black man who identifies as Latino, and we're going to try to help him get elected so he can join our caucus, which is the Hispanic Congressional Caucus, and spent, Mike, it's not insignificant. They didn't go to spend $20,000. They spent like three hundred grand in a primary, and, and I was running bilingual, Paola. Uh, digital ads. Cause I was trying to figure out how to get to those young people so that they could identify with, with him. And so they had another consultant doing the mail. We were brought in to do the digital, but having these conversations with younger, uh, Brown kids, I like to call them Brown kids. Cause they're under, they're younger than my child, but they're also so many shades of white or Brown, multicultural, multi-ethnic, mm-hmm. all of these things. And we, we showed up in their YouTube channels, their social media channels saying, Alejandro Frost is one of us, and what would it be like, Obama? Imagine the audacity to elect one of us to Congress at 26. Right. So I think he gets it. I don't think he probably understands the way we all look at him, as as like of what real hope could be for a real change in American politics. Mm-hmm. But having a conversation with him yesterday, when literally we couldn't talk because I was on the IE side, I said, "Look, brother." I said, I know where all the bodies are buried. I'm the old white haired Mexican in DC. Whatever you need, you pick up the phone, you call me because I wish a thousand times over, me and Mike talk about this all the time, Paola, that somebody would have called me and said, Chuck, Mm -hmm. I got your back. What can I do? Don't worry, you're gonna fuck up, mess up. And I'll have your back. And I just wanted Maxwell to know, look, I'm with you. And whatever you need, if you need a place to stay, if you need to know a, a restaurant to go eat at, or if you need to bounce some policy ideas, whatever it is, you don't have to pay me. I got you. The whole community got you. I think my quote from my conversation with him yesterday, is like, there's four Brown progressives in DC and you, and I'm one of them. So like there was a small community of us brother, mm-hmm. when you get here, but there's, you're going to give so much hope for others to join us now. Right? So I think that's where he's starting to understand the gravity. And let me ask my question now that I want to ask of you, Paola, is that, In a lot of these elections that we talk about, me and Mike talk about the influence that the Latino voters will have in like four or five Senate states and and 10 to 15 congressional seats, all that have substantial uh, Latino population. Um, Younger Latinos are left out of the focus groups and the polling. And folks always step to me and Mike and are like, How do you engage a younger Latino voter? Is it worth cost per acquisition to have this conversation with somebody who theoretically Mm -hmm. is not going to vote because historically they have not voted? Now, me and Mike Madrid will say, well, because you, first of all, have never asked them to. You should at least try to ask them before you say they're not going to. But when you're out and about, not only with your peers, but as you travel the country from Texas to Florida, do you see a set of issues that both parties are missing when it comes to outreach more than just the mechanics of you should run more TikTok ads? But, do you see things that aren't being discussed at a national level that the younger demographic are having conversations about now that you would advise me and Mike that we should be telling our campaigns
2: I mean chuck I think and i'm not I'm not just saying it this because I'm in your podcast, like I think you've always understood like you you you've got it no, and I think the question starts with with inviting them to the table no having some hope that just because other people believe that they're not going to vote like that's not true. just ask them no, I think for so long, you looked at someone like, like Maxwell. And he wouldn't even had been asked to vote because you wouldn't we wouldn't know is he a black man? Or is he a young Latino? And and that that conversation I've had many times in South Florida, where people never knocked on someone's door, specifically the large Afro Latino population that's here in New York, and there in Florida, because we didn't know what to ask what you don't know what to make of someone that's black and Latino. So just this, you no, know, asking people to come to the table um, is the is step. And we know the conversations that young millennials and Gen Zers are having it because they're having it, you know, because they've understood something that, that other people have not, which is we don't need anyone else for us to start these conversations. The conversations are happening on TikTok, you know. The conversations are happening in, in you know, BLM is having the conversations in gun violence, like anti-gun violence movements, like all these young people are having these conversations and they're not waiting for other people to ask them that because they live online and they're sparing those conversations. So it's up to us to find them you no, know, and uplift those platforms. So that's that's what I would say. The platforms are there. You know? We don't have to constantly reinvent the wheel. You no. Know? The voices are there. It's just a matter of uplifting something that Gen Zers know better than us, which is like, how do you use TikTok and social media? Uplift it.
1: So we we have um, we have been discussing back and forth in a political context, the use of the term Latinx. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think Chuck and I both are of the opinion that, you know, as political consultants, we're kind of like cavemen. There's not a whole lot of nuance or sophistication. You just kind of talk to people with where they're at. And we're not here to kind of understand social nuances. We don't have time for that. We got 60 days to win this election. And so that I think has been the extent of this discussion, but you literally wrote the book, (laughs) like you literally wrote the book. So, um, there's also no, no doubt and no question that, that gender identity is expanding in our society as a way to connect with, identify and acknowledge people. Um, Mm -hmm. Where do you see that conversation going specifically with the terminology, why it's important and what it means going forward?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it is um, it's been fascinating to see how it's become such a controversial word. And that to me is the interesting part of this conversation, specifically coming from, you know, Republican men, Latino Republican men, people like Giancarlo Sopo um who are so obsessed with this term and so i always pose the question back to someone like him and i'm like what is it about this that is creating such hatred in you, you know and, and, and i always go back to the same idea there's something about whatever image that provokes whatever image latinx provokes that makes people feel very uncomfortable and i genuinely believe that and so again when i use the word latinx it's not i don't i don't mean i don't want to impose it on anyone it is nothing but a more diverse and welcoming way to simply acknowledge the diversity of who the over 60 million Latinos are. You no, know, and I'm not just talking about queer and trans Latinos. I'm also talking about let's force us to think of black Latinos in this conversation. Let's force us to think of trans folks, indigenous folks, white folks, and black folks all within this term. That, that is why I sort of was pushing for this conversation because Latinx, that X that is, you know, scary for some in, just forces people to to think again beyond beyond the stereotypes that are ingrained in our ingrained in our in our brains. Um, and if it is uncomfortable for people, I think we have to ask why. Why do you think? <laughs> because I, I think there is. Look, I've I've heard so many pushbacks, and I think they're they're, they're all reasonable. No, one of them is it's an Americanized word. The the, the word Latinx is not Americanized. It actually it, it actually the X very much started giving root to the indigenous culture. No. Um, the right loves to say that it is a form of wokeness. No. Um, that those are usually the, the two main the two main pushbacks. No? that you're politicizing a community and that you're butchering the Spanish language. So I'm I'm all for that conversation. But if, if you really break it down to someone as I've done to my old my own grandparents who are over 80 years old and I'm like, look, here's what it means. No, when you, when, you, when I when I tell you this is what Latinx means. It's just a way for you to be more welcoming, perhaps because there's someone in the room that may not identify with the word Hispanic, simply because you're taking away the indigenous roots of the language. Maybe Latin or Latin now, it's a gendered word. Maybe it's also not f- making someone feel comfortable. Here's why Latinx may be important. They understand it. So it's its really not that hard.
1: I, I've always found it fascinating, too, that we... we um... People who complain about it are, are complaining you know, about a language that was imposed on them anyway. This <laughs> is this is this is a, this is yeah. a, a European language, uh, for goodness' sake. So, yeah, I mean, I,
2: completely. And I think language evolves. I right? think like, to yeah, me, like, yeah, we're, language is supposed to evolve. Language is supposed to reflect movements. Language is supposed the same way that, like, BLM at some point, you know, was was frowned upon. No, so language reflects. What's happening out there? And, and and again, like it's 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 good to break out of out of the box. I, polling may suggest otherwise, and that's also completely fair. I know polling may suggest that it's a, a word that is completely you know unused, but I think it comes down to because it's so misunderstood, you know, because it, it's it's become so politicized that it's it, it's used as a weapon more than anything.
0: I want to jump back to. Um... To media, and we're going to be starting to wrap this thing up. We want to respect your time. But, you know, we talked about the changing demographic. We've talked about the nuances between the states, where are there similarities, non similarities with Latino voters? But there's one non arguable, there's no way around it, is that our influence, whether it's culturally, politically, or any other way is growing because of raw numbers that Mike just talked about of the growth of our community that will continue to grow. I always remind everybody on this podcast that the average age of a Latino or Hispanic person in America is 27. We are just Mm -hmm. younger. Well, let me ask you something that I don't know anything about. I play a TV star when I get to be on MSNBC or do whatever, but I don't know media, right? I wear a funny cowboy hat and I talk like this is probably why I get on TV But you, somebody who they pay to actually put sentences together, make films with with Vox, do whatever the amazing reporting you do when you just got back from Mexico with this amazing reporting you were doing and they're talking about these folks that are being kidnapped, mainly women and young girls. Mm -hmm. Like, in my mind, I never saw that 10 years ago. In Mm -hmm. my mind, I damn sure didn't see it 20 years ago tell me how the, is the newsrooms really changing? Obviously they're probably not changing fast enough, but you, you come from a long legacy of your father and getting to see and grow up around this industry. Tell me what mm-hmm. you've seen change and what do you think we have to look forward to? Cause me and Mike are continually trying to push for more representation mm-hmm. in multimedia platforms, but tell me what you've seen as far as media changing and is it really changing or is it not?
2: It is. I mean, I look at someone like my dad. No, my dad has been doing the Univision newscast for over thirty-five years. But where do I see my dad now? More, I see him more on Facebook. Wow. Now I see him more on Twitter. Finally, I'm seeing him use Instagram. And so he he's someone that has had to, you know, if if you want to become relevant, you, know, you have to sort of be able to to use different platforms. So he'll he'll be on TV, but he's very well aware that his audience is moving online you no know, the the last y las abuelas even them are now suddenly like using facebook more so than they're watching him on tv and so i've i've seen him transition i've also seen companies like like vice you no know, suddenly um want to push for me to do reports in both english and in spanish no there used to be a time no 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 just do it in english but now this having this versatility you no, know, is i think has become really important and To me what i'm what i'm learning the most is 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 bringing people on a journey no i think people want to want want to be there with you You No, i think for so long we we tell people no you the the reporting is important the words are important but what i've learned is that the showing people what you're seeing is more important than anything no how 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 did you come up with that poll where do those statistics come from bring me to those conversations what was the back and forth like i see i think Again, this is such a contentious time in politics, right? Where like facts and what's right and wrong is suddenly all uncertain. I think people want to see because I also find that trust and credibility, of course, is something that we have to win and we have to fight for so hard. And so the way that I'm trying to do that is like I bring my phone with me everywhere I go. And I, I take people on on that journey. So again, to like just to, to answer that question, it's, it's show, show, show as much as you can tell.
0: That's good. Mike, you got a final question?
1: No, I just wanted to say thank you so much for this time. This has been extraordinarily insightful for me as somebody who just, um, one, has been a fan. I know we've done a bunch of panels together. I think we've been on interviews together. I look forward to the day when we can you know, share some coffee or something and just kind of continue the conversation on on identity because it's just, it's just fascinating. It's, it's amazing to, to visit with other observers who are watching this unfold and this incredible transformation that's happening. So thank you for giving it voice. Thank you for the work that you're doing internationally. Where can people catch you on social media?
2: It's at Paul Ramos on both Twitter and, and Instagram, but I just I want to say the opposite. I when, when I try and figure out like what's happening out there in real numbers, I look up to both of you and I have for for many, many years. so this is truly like my, my honor. It always has been. So thank you both for always being that North Star for us because finding finding facts and understanding like what's at the heart of this is, is hard, and, and you both have always led us there. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Paula.
0: Thank you so much for being here and thank you for being on the Latino Vote podcast. And everybody, I really want to appreciate you for listening to me and Mike and we're so so happy to have Paola Ramos with us today. It was an amazing podcast. Remember, we need you to follow us on social media at The Latino Vote Podcast on the Twitter, on the Instagrams, all the places where you get your socials. Also subscribe and Don't forget, you can be a part of our after hours show with me and Mike and be a Patreon member. Sign up, join as a Patreon member. And we have some big news coming up. I want to throw it to my brother, Mike Madrid, to talk about some exciting announcements that we have coming up at next week's show.
1: Guys, I want to say thanks uh, to the Patreon family and the Latino vote family, too. Um, This is the, the reception that we've received has really been remarkable. Um, It's growing at a rate faster than we thought. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the focus and attention on the midterms, but we know there's a growing audience out there for what the data, the content, the polling, the opinion leaders that we're providing. And so what we've decided to do is launch a a broader website with much more capacity to get you even more information on what is happening. Uh, We'll be talking a lot more uh, specifically about what it's going to be next week when we launch, but you can find a lot of opinion pieces from Latino elected officials, from Latino political consultants, from Latino uh, opinion leaders. You're going to find an aggregated news site that's going to bring all of the the Latino focused political media onto one site in one location. This podcast will live there. You're going to see book recommendations. You're going to see visiting interviews with experts in the field, providing a place to get all of the content that you want Focused on the Latino vote, all of the drivers of what is happening in our community, all of the media that covers all of the uh, races, uh, the the doers, the movers, the shakers in one central piece of real estate. I'm really excited about this. I want to say thank you for those recommendations that came in that advise that we do this. It's a sign of I think the thirst that is out there for this information. Not having it all separated, not having it all splintered and everywhere else, but in one central location. This is going to be something you're going to want to bookmark to get more information. And what I will say is this too, because this has driven so much of our creation here. Send us those suggestions on what you want to see. Send us those topics of of not only issues, but of people you want to hear from. What we're trying to create is a megaphone here of voices from our community in the political space to have it be represented better in this extraordinary change that's happening in the American political system. That means your voice needs to be heard. We need your engagement. We need your suggestions. We need your topics. And hell, send us some content. If you want to write an op-ed piece, you'll be able to submit it to us in real time, hopefully get it posted, give you a national audience, make your voices heard. Follow us more. Big, big, big news coming with the launch next week. I'm really excited about it, Chuck.
0: Yep, very, I'm excited as well. I also want to give a special hat tip to our teams. that's helped put this podcast together every week here in the DC studios, our brother Bakari behind the scenes, putting everything together. Also my team led by Kenna who helps us put this show together. These are folks behind the scene that you don't hear on microphone on camera. That's working hard to put this show together every day. Super excited about the big announcements next week. Follow us this week on social media. There'll be more announcements there. And until next time, thank you for joining the Latino vote podcast. podcast.